0: and welcome back to Season 1, Episode 47 to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Morgan Snyder, and uh, we have a phenomenal conversation about his book, Becoming a King, The Path to Restoring the Heart of a Man, and um, just a valuable discussion on how just about about men and uh, how the enemy will use isolation to take men out, My, the enemy will use isolation to destroy men, and um, what we can do about that and how we can grow um, in our faith and in our understanding and uh, in our in our community with men. And uh, the next thing we talked about, we talked about, um, he, he mentioned in uh, a counseling session in the book, he talks that his, a counselor shared with him and his wife, um, how we relate to other people, particularly those closest to us, is one of the greatest indicators indicators of our spiritual maturity and um, just a fascinating insight on um, how our impact as men when we walk into a room are we drawing people closer to us? Are we um, creating fear in people? And specifically those in our families and uh, our wives and our kids and um, those that we work with and the impact we're having. And then another question I thought was really interesting and insightful was how a man and his pocket knife um, can save the world. And uh, we just talk about the uh, he shares about the idea that um, our society is encouraging men to become more and more specialist. And then when they have to do something outside of that specialty, it creates fear, anxiety and panic. Because they don't feel prepared, and um, if we lean more towards being generalists, then we uh, have that ability to try to figure things out. I'm not a handyman by um, any stretch of the imagination, Um, but this this really resonated with me. Taking those things, trying to figure things out, and not just trying to stick to the areas where we're strong, and uh, and uh, try to find somebody else to do those things that we don't know how to do. But taking the time to learn and grow, and um, just a a great conversation. Um, You will not want to miss it, and uh, we appreciate Morgan um, for spending some time with us today on the podcast do want to thank our sponsor for today's episode Wes and Peggy Reed collaborators in mission well there's no time better than now to get started so here we go Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with uh, a new friend, uh, Morgan Snyder. My um, first, I honestly, the first I'd heard of him when, was when I read his book, Becoming a King, and it was a book that was impactful and insightful and really challenged me as a man. And so uh, I read the book and I thought, on a chance, I'm going to pray that uh, the door would open, that we would be able to sit down and have a conversation on the podcast and to learn from him about his wisdom, insight, and experience. Morgan, could you go ahead and introduce? yourself to the audience for those that that maybe have not read the book yet and just share something a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, Aaron, it's great to connect with you and to connect with this tribe of uh, like-hearted, kingdom-hearted men and women around the globe. It's an honor to slip into each person's world. Uh, boy, an introduction is a big question, uh, but I think what I would say for context, is I've spent the last 22 years partnering with John Eldridge and taking the message of Wild at Heart to men and women around the world. But where it started was the heart of a young boy that was deeply passionate, um, but very lost. And I came into a vibrant relationship with God in my college years. But Aaron, what I found was even though my heart gained a trust in God and a salvation, still I was a boy on the inside. So I was in a man's body, in a growing man's world, but still feeling like a boy on the inside. What I lacked was a process of initiation. What I lacked was becoming mature and wholehearted and learning what it was like to walk in union with God. I needed to be fathered. I needed to um, be under the care of older guides, and so I I took my restoration really seriously and out of pain, and dreams. I think it was the two things, Aaron. It was it was the desire to be a good man, the desire to do meaningful work and impact the world for God and His kingdom, to be a loving husband, to be a loving father. All those desires, but then the pain of my internal life is not matching with my external. And I often feel fear and I often feel um, like I'm behind. Hmm. It's just this pervasive sense of I'm behind and it's up to me. And so I began a path um, of recovering something ancient. I started asking older men, what is the path of life? What is the, What are the pitfalls? What is the most important thing? And over time, Aaron, I began to gather counsel, and it was this beautiful sort of mosaic of over 75 men over two years' time, where they began to help me recover something not new, but Mm -hmm. newly recovered. It's what Jeremiah 6 talks about, recover the ancient path at the crossroads, the tried and true road that leads to rest for your soul. And what I discovered is what G.K. Chesterton offered hundreds of years ago, where he said, every generation loses the gospel, this path of life, and every generation is charged with its recovery.
2: Hmm. And
1: so I found myself a young, gifted, uninitiated man that loved God but needed to tend very seriously to the deeper matters of my soul. And over the last 20 years, I've taken that path, a narrow road to um, live an upside down life in an upside down kingdom that doesn't make sense economically and doesn't make sense practically. But the fruit is life and it's life to the full. And when I look in the eyes of my wife, and when I look in the eyes of my teenagers at 16 and 13, the eyes of my close friends, um, the eyes of men that are uh, heroically um, offering the kingdom in the world, it makes me realize like it's worth every risk and there's more. Mm. Wow. Wow.
0: As we began earlier as we were leading up into the interview we began to talk about you know the audience and um, some of the struggles that men can run into um, living overseas working um, and following God and, and sharing the love of Jesus Christ and we talked about isolation and um, that was one thing as as I read your in your book that it Stood out to me. Could you go a little bit deeper on how the enemy can use isolation to to take out men and um, and women also? But that a tactic that he uses to isolate us and take us out.
1: Yeah, Aaron, it's a it's a really important topic. You know, I've spent a re, a good bit of time connecting with missionary allies around the globe over the last two decades, and it is a constant theme. Whatever else they are operating under. So often there's a culture, an atmosphere of isolation. And they lose heart. They lose heart. And a life without heart is not a life worth living. And the Hmm. heart is what's at stake, right? The scriptures say, above all else, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the wellspring of life. Hmm. And I think it's really important now, the scriptures are really clear. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I believe that's very particular. It's very personal. It's very um, regional. Hmm. It's very specific to the age in which we find ourselves. And so I believe the enemy is very cunning. He's very strategic. He knows our story, and he knows what works. And so he knows, like in this age. Richard Foster said, The curse of our age is superficiality. We're moving so fast and we're so busy, even doing good things, our souls are tempted to stay in the shallows. Hmm. And the problem is when the soul of man lives in the shallows, it's like a tree with very shallow roots. Hmm. It's not until there's drought that the condition of the roots are exposed and we find we can't sustain it. Whereas the scriptures say the man is deeply blessed when his roots are grafted into the river of life, that they're saturated. And even in drought, they continue to receive life. And above the ground, the part we see is we see fruit, literally, right? We see green leaves in really rough seasons. And so I believe that among other things, one of those particular assignments against missionary work is a spirit of isolation.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, And what I mean by that is it's not all you Hmm. and it's not all God, but we, we quickly look to try to assess. We need a story to interpret reality. But if we try to interpret it without a conscious awareness of the enemy, it ends up being either an indictment on God, he's holding out on us, yeah. or we can't trust his heart, or an indictment against me, I'm just blowing it. Mm. But in fact, we all have enemies, and I believe that spirit of isolation is is huge, and we're made to be warriors, and there's some strength in us, like, we, we were made strong for a reason.
2: Mm.
1: You know, the I, I was with a mentor early in this process, and two of his sons were there, and one son was just beating up on the other son. And so the younger <laughs> son came crying over, the older son came over and my mentor got down in his eyes and he said, Samuel, and this is the one that was beating up on Blaine. He said, God made you strong. Do you think that your strength is to harm your brother or to protect your brother? Hmm. See, the issue was about how he was employing his strength. Hmm. But how was he employing it? Hmm. And so it's the same with warfare. Like we are made to be warriors, but often without a view of God at our epicenter, we settle for small stories. We engineer smallness.
2: That's hmm. what
1: Brene Brown calls it. <laughs> but instead we're meant to be warriors and we have to fight that fight. And so to take a stand and say, I reject a spirit of isolation, I, I will not agree with it. I make no agreement with that lie. I am not on my own. I am with God. God is with me. God is near. God is accessible. And He is intended for me to have, to fight for, to prioritize life-giving relationships. Hmm. And so I do think it's very important to assess what spiritual assignments are against me regionally and against me culturally. And then in my line of work, in my vocational assignment to stand against a spirit of isolation. And then by breaking that stronghold, we begin to see clearly and it will allow the power of God to flow in and actually offer the antidote yeah, healthy relationship, positive community.
0: Yeah. How do you talked about you took the um, initiative to reach out to to older men? Where did that courage come from to do that? And to break out of you could have easily isolated and not took that step to reach out. Was that out of desire? Where did you find that courage and maybe to encourage someone in the audience today who's listening in, um, you know, to take that step of courage to reach out and not settle for isolation?
1: Yeah, it's funny, Aaron used the word courage because I would use the word um, pain. Hmm. <laughs> would be a better word. I didn't want to waste any more of my pain.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, I had I had an older man earlier say, "Son, don't waste your pain. Hmm. We're all going to suffer as we mature." In a lot of ways, the scriptures seem to have this trend that we suffer more. Yeah, as we mature as Christians, as we mature in our role. I didn't want to waste my pain. And I knew that something wasn't working. You know, the scriptures, Jesus says clearly, we'll know it by its fruit. And so what is the fruit of the kingdom life? Increasing peace, increasing joy, increasing capacity to love other people, increasing inner well-being. And Isaiah says, we'll burst with joy and feel 10 feet tall. I was feeling about four feet tall. Hmm. And I wasn't bursting with joy. And I knew something was off. Yeah. And I knew that fundamentally I needed more of God. And in that time, I think I realized I had questions. Life wasn't working. Hmm. And and one mentor once said, it's either humility or humiliation. Yeah. But in this instance, there isn't a third choice. Yeah. And I had enough humiliation. Hmm. And I knew as I was growing older that the humiliation would only grow. Okay. And, and so the stakes were higher, right? The consequences were higher. So I chose humility over humiliation. And I had to find my questions. You know, apprenticeship in the kingdom of God isn't a formula. It's not tips and techniques. It's not 10 steps. It's finding your questions and turning to the, the God of all creation that longs to respond to those, not just with answers, but with intimate relationship. And so I began asking, but Erin, I think the biggest piece was before I began asking men and women, I began asking God
2: hmm. and
1: two things happened. The first was there was silence for two weeks and and that caused me to get more curious to really tune in. And he said, "I want to speak to you, but I want to speak to you through older, wiser guides."
2: Hmm. So that
1: was the first piece. And the second piece was learning to believe that at the center of reality, I, I do have a father. Yeah, that has my best interests in mind. That my maturity, my wholeheartedness. My initiation into the fullness of what God intended is at the epicenter of his heart. That's what he thinks about much of his days. And so as I get curious about it, and as I look for his face to be reflected through other people, I can begin to recover the path and process to becoming the kind of man in whom God is actually glad to entrust the care of his kingdom. Wow.
0: That's gold there. That is gold. In your book, um, one of the one of the things that really stuck out to me, you you share that masculinity that is not integrated goes haywire. Could you go a little bit deeper on that and the in in what brought how is that something you learned from one of the older guides? Um, but that's a that's a power pack statement there.
1: Yeah, I actually learned it from Google. Okay, <laughs> I learned it from Google. I learned it from Google yesterday. You can learn it from Google today. So after this podcast, go to Google and search the news. Okay. Look at the top 10 stories Hmm. and ask yourself how many of the top 10 stories in the news today or yesterday or 100 days from now are stories of men mishandling power? Wow, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's worth stopping and saying what's gone wrong. Yeah, right. And and here's what's so important, Aaron, is that we are we have been entrusted with an extraordinary power. The scriptures say, you know, God was there. This heroic fellowship of the Father, of Christ, of the Holy Spirit. And God said, let us, this this trinity, make them in our image. And so in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then he handed us the keys to the kingdom. He literally handed us creation. And he said, giraffes and rivers and barley, wheat, and hops. It's all yours. Do what you want with it. Let's partner. Let's be creative. He endowed us with extraordinary power. And what we've done with that power says everything. You know, Dallas Willard said, the primary work of God is finding men and women in whom he can entrust his power. Hmm. And the story of most men, is being entrusted with power and it bringing harm hmm. to themselves and those under their care. Hmm. And so the issue, Aaron, isn't that we are not powerful. Hmm. The issue is what have we done with it and why does it go haywire? Hmm. What, is, what is the motive behind it and how do we recover a path and process where we can actually become wholehearted. Mm-hmm. We can grow in increasing union and intimacy with God so that we can actually be entrusted with power and it bring good and not harm. Yeah. You know, my son turned uh, 16 uh, last month and he's been saving up for a car. So COVID hit and school goes online. And he knocked out his schoolwork in like two and a half hours a day. And so he starts a landscaping business and he starts hammering it. And he had more, he had enough cash to pay his half of buying a a cheap car. And he owned a car before he turned 16. And we had a really powerful key passing ceremony because my son's kingdom was expanding. Mm -hmm. The power being entrusted to him was much larger at 16. And I felt two things, Aaron. I felt sadness. Hmm. And I realized when I searched my heart, the sadness was my son's kingdom is expanding the area entrusted to his care far beyond that, which I can control. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know what's going to happen in that car. But if what happens in that car is what happened in my car when I was 16, that would be terrible. Yeah. That would be hurtful to himself and other people, particularly women. Yeah. And I was sad. And also I was glad Hmm. because I knew that my son was ready. Hmm. My son was on time. It's a risk. I don't know how it's going to go, but he has God in his heart. And in that ceremony was an opportunity to say, son, this isn't about turning 16. This is a mark in your masculine initiation. Hmm. You are on time. This is great power. I trust you. God trusts you. And here's what's key is there's room to fail. Yeah. We have to fail. Failing is the greatest teacher. It's a kind guide and a severe mercy. And so there's room. And so I bless you, but you're ready for this. Let's do this together. But this is your vehicle. We consecrate it to the kingdom of God. We consecrate it for joy, for adventure, for for learning and growing. You're ready and you can do this. Yeah. And so power is a really big category and it's mishandling it has shaped much of the world. And our work in the kingdom is to become the kind of people that can be entrusted with power and help other people do the same.
0: That's good. That is good. You know, kind of shifting a little bit, and one of the other things I have, I could ask you like a hundred questions, but one of the one of the next questions I wanted to ask you about was, you wrote about a counselor sharing that how we relate to other people, particularly those closest to us, is one of the greatest indicators of our spiritual maturity. Can can you go a little bit deeper on that and um, how it impacted your life when that was shared with you, and um, how can men take stock of that and, and take that to heart and take assessment of how we are. As you talk about becoming, becoming a king, you know what is it like to live in our kingdom? What is it like to be in our kingdom and looking at how we're treating our families, how we're treating our, our teammates and those that are closest to us?
1: Yeah, there's, there's several really core directions I could go with that question. Um, I'm just kind of listening to my spirit to ask like, what's genuinely most helpful Um, but I was sitting with my mentor, Craig, and I had just, uh, had some tough situations with my wife and he, he really called me on it because he loved me and -hmm. I could feel the fatherly love. And that's what he said is, you know, that's, it's one of the indicators of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is a hard thing to name, but what he was pointing out is I see you, I know you want to grow. I know you have a growth mindset, you wanna be a lifetime learner and lover, but you need to become aware that how you are relating to people you love is causing harm. And it was the love in my heart for the people that I was hurting that caused me to say, I'm gonna take this seriously. It takes a lot of courage. To ask the honest question and find a context to get an honest answer of what am I like? Mm. What's it like to be around me? Mm. What's my impact on you? I mean, everyone has a sort of gravitational pull, like a force field around them, right? Yeah. There's some people that you just always want to laugh with them. There's just always this, this kind of life of the party. It's always a joke, right? Yeah. Or it can even move to cynic- cynicism. It's like, whatever the circumstances, the sky's is falling, yeah. right? The glass is always <laughs> half empty. And there's a guy on my street that no matter what I pitch, what softball I throw to him, it's like the answer is the world is horrific. People are horrific. Every politician's horrific. And it's like almost entertainment. I know what I'm going to get. right? And then you have my wife, no matter what I pitch to her, no matter what the situation is, everyone's amazing. Hmm. She thinks everyone's amazing, and when I'm around her, I tend to think better about people. Yeah, I'm a. She would call herself an a, a, a realist, and me a pessimist. I would uh. call myself. Uh, a realist and her an optimist right like we all have a (laughs) feel. so we have to know Aaron like how do I affect people yeah and I can tell you my drivenness hurt a lot of people Hmm. and I didn't know it and my shame was protect self-protecting in a negative way to keep me from receiving that yeah um my wife told me that I move people around my house with my eyes. Wow. Yeah, that that's pretty terrible. And I had no idea. Hmm. I had no idea. We did a lot of counseling and we healed a lot of uh, in our marriage and we were like in a counselor's office years later and finally it was like that first marriage session where you're excited to go to cuz nothing's broken. <laughs> <I'm> like yes. <laughs> Finally, the, the thousands of dollars I've spent to get to this moment, when we sat on the couch and the counselors asked us the most terrible question you can be asked in counseling: "How are you doing?" Yeah. And we <laughs> sat there, and I'm thinking, "We're good. We're good," you know. And and then Sherry was quiet, and then she started crying, mm-hmm. and I was like, "You you you're kidding me, right? Like this is my internal right life, right? Just my, yeah. my, my false self, my ego. You're kidding me." Yeah. Why are you crying? We're fine. You you were just fine like 30 seconds ago. What's gone wrong? And and then she proceeded to describe a picture of our marriage where she said she felt like a bird in a cage
2: mm.
1: and I held the key to the cage.
2: Hmm.
1: And Aaron, we we had done a lot of work in our marriage and I believe that she had gotten safe enough and healed enough, and I would gotten healed enough that we could get to the next level. Yeah. And here's the key, so much of that energy, she was talking about a really good man that was a Christian leader, that's on the mission field a lot, fighting for hearts in Australia and South Africa and Canada and UK and, and fighting for her heart, wanting to be that the leader of our household and, and be a good husband. And I missed so much of my impact was actually inhibiting her voice, hmm. not giving her room to thrive in hmm. the ways that she needed. Yeah. And so much of my path of apprenticeship, has, 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 the fruit has been getting really curious about what is my impact? What do I want my legacy to be? What do I want my kids to describe when they leave our home and they talk to other kids and they say, what was it really like with your kids? Not what, not what your parents did for a living, but what it was like. And I can tell you, um, it matters a lot. Yeah. That's amazing.
0: You, you shared that finding the context to get honest answers that that jumps off to me because we can ask the question but if we're not get finding the right context to get an honest answer could you just share maybe some wisdom on that how you find the context so you're not just getting the affirmation you know you really want feedback you don't just want affirmation while well, you're great you're great and move on but you really want what get the honest truth have you is there any keys that you've learned about finding that context to get to get honest answers
1: i think i would replace the word with um finding I would Mm -hmm. replace with cultivating okay Um, how do you cultivate an atmosphere in a relationship where you have earned the right to receive an honest answer wow that's a very different shift we do so much work to kind of uh you know, the whitewashed tombs to polish the outside of the cup yeah. and to make it shiny. In the mission field, I know we're talking to a lot of different hearts, but right. specifically these allies in the mission field, there's this added pressure yeah. of I need to project and demonstrate the message. I'm I'm crushing it. Yeah. Like this is worth your investment, yeah. right? That's you're and hitting ultimately. It. Right. It, ultimately, it comes down to metrics on some level. Yeah. Right. I am giving you this report that justifies your sacrificial investment to keep this going. Yeah, it's good. And yet the kingdom of God does not work on economics. God's economy is not the ways of this world. God's methods of growth are not the ways of this world. You know, you just look at nature. It's meant to be our first sacred text, and it teaches us that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Yeah. Right? He turns things upside down. And so, already as missionaries, we're so often set up in a context to not be honest. Hmm. Uh, and it's self protective. And ultimately, it brings harm Hmm. to ourselves and those under our care. And and when I say harm, I'm saying a general category. I'm using that word very compassionately. It doesn't bring the good that we want. And so what I would say is the first step is, do you have a relationship anywhere Hmm. to be brutally honest with how you're doing? Hmm. And that's why it's one of the, I love One of the dimensions I love of the 12-step programs and the 12-step movement is there is authenticity of communicating where I'm at right now. There's no judgment. There's no crosstalk. You know, my friends that have benefited from that, one of the huge things they do really well is come as you are and share how you're doing. Hmm. And most missionaries have nothing of that sort and so what i would say and this is just you know i'm just kind of searching my heart of what would be really soul strengthening and what i would say is i i have the privilege of working um with some very wealthy people around the world who are are leaders in big areas and the challenge is good-hearted wealthy people that have the kingdom and when i say wealthy i'm talking about financial wealth at this right. moment that's not true wealth but that's a type of provision with a lot of financial resources. The problem is over time, most people they care about end up on their payroll. Hmm. In some form or fashion, they are economically connected to most people they care about and it creates a bind because Hmm. they can't get honest feedback Hmm. because their finances are all commingled with that it's oversimplifying but it's just a category i think there's a similar effect with missionaries that when you're in the field in your world back home is kind of more narrowed most people are involved in your work yeah. and you have you don't have a say a soul safe place it's good to be honest and come unraveled and so my heart to each person would say holy spirit would you show me how to pursue a context where here I'm not a missionary hmm. here? There's no title. I I am simply Sarah. Yeah. I'm simply Tom. Yeah. It's the great equalizer. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm, it's not about what I do. That's it's good. about who I am.
0: That's good. That's good. One of the other things that really jumped out, and this kind of segues into it, uh, identifying who we are, who we are in Christ, is you. You said a man and his knife can save the world, and uh, you talk about the idea we become specialists, but it's more generalist um, that is uh, you believe it is vital, and that really it's it really caught my attention. Can you go just to go a little bit deeper on a man and his knife and how he can save the world?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah, it's a big category, and yeah, it, it and it's kind of a it's a game changer. It's a big shift, but for this moment, you know, as once said, uh, Will Rogers said it, Ron Reagan, uh, se- several different people. I don't know who originally said it, but it's been said that often, the best thing for the inside of a man is the outside of a horse. Hmm. And the idea was, um, we are soul. Yeah. We we are masculine and feminine soul. And there, there are very robust dimensions to what that means. And we could spend several podcasts right. exploring that. But we live in a very unique age in human history. When you look at just how humans function and you take any view of human history from the most conservative of a six-day Genesis picture and to, to millions of years. Yeah. any view, our modern era of, of this technological age, industrial age, informational age, post 1700 AD is, is a very small percentage of human history. It's, it's, it's somewhere between 0.01% and point oh 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 one percent of wow. human existence.
0: <laughs> I, just, I never thought about it that way.
1: It's crazy. It is Okay, so put that on a map. <laughs> Put that on the map, right? It's like, you think about the number of people that go in the ocean and how many people get attacked by a shark. Like, like there are less people that have lived in modernity and our age of machines and technology and travel and ability to be missionaries overseas, halfway around the world, than there are people that have ever gotten attacked by a shark. Okay? Like, this is mind boggling. (laughs) So it's important to think about these terms, like this isn't normal. Yeah. 99% of our human experience in the world is simply not normal when we think statistically to humans. Okay. So yeah. just as a context, yeah. very simplified, everything in our world is reduced to a commodity because we can do things cheaply, quickly, efficiently, easily there's so much leverage in our age that things are reduced to a means of exchange through money. And it's kind of the great equalizer. It's a common denominator. Mm. And what happens is we are encouraged to become specialists. We're, be- we're encouraged to follow our gifting and become really good at one thing. Yeah. The problem is when you take away other things that in general, most people had to do, like the simplicity of, Food, clothing, shelter. You actually remove the means by which we were meant to become whole human beings. Hmm. And and parts of us go atrophied. And so it's like a bone that breaks and you put on a cast, and six weeks later later, you take off the cast and the bone is healed. But yeah. the muscles are are flimsy.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Right? They're feeble. That's true. And you have to exercise that arm until they're regenerated. Most men have very feeble muscles in many places because they've been put in a cast. Hmm. And the problem is, what the world needs is wholehearted men and women. And so it's good for a man to have a basic experiential knowing of a little bit about a lot of things. It's good for a man to be able to fix a mower yeah. and fix a problem with his computer and to fix a broken heart. And we all gravitate towards where we feel good, yeah. <laughs> where we feel strong, yeah. right? You yeah, know this. It's true. So the man that's really powerful in a boardroom and a corporate executive and kills it and you know, can par golf and then his car breaks down. And he goes, "Oh crap!" Right? (laughs) Or, or if he's a Christian, he says, "Oh darn!" Or if he is a regular dude, he goes, "I'm terrified." Let's be honest. Yeah. Let's be honest. Okay. And then the tow truck guy comes up, and they look under the hood of the car, and the tow truck driver, who's got you know grease under his fingernails, says, "Hey, what's wrong?" And the and the man, who's now six years old and a little boy, he's freaking out inside, going. I don't know what's wrong. It was working and now it's not working. What's wrong is my car doesn't work. Right. True. He is exposed. Yeah. He may kill it in the boardroom, but he's exposed. Now take that tow truck driver and put him at a five-star resort, put him at a meal with three forks and yeah. four glasses, right. And oysters in the half shell. Yeah. And he is uncomfortable. Yeah. What do I do with all these extra cups? Right. (laughs) Okay. We all have a realm where we feel exposed. Yeah. We all have a place where we feel, um, uncertain, uncomfortable, um, unqualified. And so what's so important is to go back and say, where in my masculine journey did I walk away from things out of fear? Hmm. When I got married and I took on a mortgage and and a and a wife, yeah, and these responsibilities, I felt excited and like a boy. Right, there yeah. were different parts of me that were different ages. And the toilet broke in our little townhome, and I remember thinking, "Oh crap!" When I was a kid, and the toilet broke, we called a toilet fixer person. Yeah, right. My dad was a doctor. Yeah. He grew up poor. And so he became a professional and we outsourced everything. Well, now we don't have the money to call a plumber. And I don't know how to fix that thing. But my wife is going to have to go to the bathroom sometime in the near future. Yeah, I was exposed. Yeah, And so I had to go to Home Depot and I sat in the parking lot. And I remember praying, God, like I'm all in for initiation, but I'm genuinely scared. I'm scared of the toilet. I'm scared of Home Depot. I don't know what to do in this realm. But other realms, I'm killing it, right? Yeah. So I walk in. I said, I need a father. Like in my spirit, I pray, God, would you father me? And sure enough, you know, God waits to be wanted. And he is energetic. I mean, we give him an inch and he'll give us a mile of blessing. And this old man's in the plumbing aisle. And I said, my toilet doesn't work. And he looked at me and he goes, I can help you with that. Wow. And this is before the YouTube days, you yeah. know, before you could watch a video on anything. <laughs> and so, Aaron, it was this beautiful process of taking back things that I surrendered. Yeah. And so to get back to your question about the hot the pocket knife, that was a symbol. You know, when I was a kid, like a lot of little boys, I had a handful of pocket knives that I love, but no one ever taught me how to use it. No one ever taught me how to sharpen it. And Uh, in this process of recovering the generalist, I sense God say, I want you to carry a pocket knife.
2: Hmm.
1: And I thought, what, to open Amazon package and take the shrink wrap (laughs) off of meat from the grocery store. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. I live in the suburbs. My wife drives a minivan and I work on a computer. We're on zoom right now. Right. 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 But truth be told, it requires, It was an extension of something being healed and restored. Hmm. And when I pull out that knife every day to use it, that sound of a click. When my little daughter says, Daddy, can I borrow your knife? Yeah. Or she says, Daddy, my my daddy always has a knife. It's more than a knife. It's a soul's symbol of something God is doing inside the man. Hmm. And the specialists, the particular gifts that have been entrusted to our care are meant to be layered on top of us recovering the generalists. And so my invitation to listeners out there is where do you feel afraid? Where do you feel exposed? Where do you feel uh, uncomfortable? And then two men, particularly around masculine masculinity. Yeah what do you move in that direction go there risk carry a pocket knife take a risk pull it out let it be a soul symbol and it can heal your soul that's awesome that is awesome
0: Morgan, I could talk to you for hours, but I've already taken more of your time than I asked for. So um, I appreciate it. You have been a blessing to me. Um, uh, The book has been a blessing to me. And just to sit here and communicate um, and listen to you and learn from you has been a blessing to my soul. And uh, would you pray for the audience um, in whatever way the Spirit leads you, um, that God will use this What you shared today, not just as words and not just as head knowledge, but things that we will put into action in our hearts and our lives, um, wherever we're at around this world.
1: Yeah, I would love, I would absolutely love to pray. I loved praying with you before our recording. And and one of the things I actually pray in preparation for a podcast like this, Aaron, is that um, I would have God's heart for the Mm -hmm. listener. Yeah god give me your heart for the listener and so and another thing that i pray is to crucify self-promotion because this is not about me this is about god and i want to steward what's been entrusted to my care but as we're sharing this morning i am impressed to encourage the listeners to dial in to becomegoodsoil.com, yeah. that's the, the landing page that over these years, I've tried to curate and distill treasures of this ancient path for like-hearted allies around the globe. And so there's podcasts, there's blogs, and becomingaking.com was intended to take people deeper into this. The video... Um, the study guide, all those resources um, go quite deep, and that's at becomingaking.com, and, and I, I share that not in the spirit of self-promotion, but in the spirit of these missionaries as an antidote to isolation. Those are resources that most of them are free. They're totally accessible um, 24 hours a day, and there's the slow and steady resources to provide soul strengthening. So I really encourage listeners, if anything in this conversation with us is speaking, is resonating, becomegoodsoil.com, becomingaking.com. But having said that, Father, I do stand with Aaron this morning. And Jesus, you are all powerful. You, You have conquered death. And your resurrection and ascension gives us access to a power that makes the impossible possible in our lives. And Holy Spirit, you are a teacher. You are a kind and faithful guide. You promise to lead us step by step. Coaching us, guiding us into the portion and the pace that you have for us. Father, you provide abundance in the place of scarcity. You provide courage in the place of fear. Father, you provide intimate relationship in the place of lonely and isolation. Father, you are the great initiator. It's not up to us. You are at the center of this story. And we belong to you. So Jesus, I pray that your grace would be enacted in each of our lives today afresh. That it would move in us and compel us to respond to you. To respond to the next step in our initiation. Holy Spirit, would you reveal one thing for us to take away from this podcast today? We ask that in the quiet, we would listen to our own hearts. We would tune into your heart and you advocating for us. You are the advocator. And it's interesting, God has many names. And, and Aaron, just even in praying right now, uh, I've never actually named, um, prayed before in naming God as the great advocator. Hmm. But I sense for our listeners, he's saying, I am your advocate. And so would you let me be your advocate? So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would infuse your power. You would breathe your breath into every heart and every home listening to this. That you would bring refreshment. You would bring renewal. That you would bring hope that comes from... uh, receiving a deeper spirit of sonship where we cry out God you are our father and we are your sons and we are your daughters and we ask that you would father us even more on this day we pray all these things in the name of the father and son and holy spirit Amen.